This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening. Today we're going to ask ourselves to consider what does God want us to do with our lives? What does God want you to do? God's special call on your life. What we do with our, ma- what we do with our lives matters. It makes a difference what we do. You know, it's humbling to travel the world. What I mean by that is whenever I've traveled to go to somewhere like Kiev or Moscow or Manila or Bogota or the various cities of the world, I realize that there are people there, they they don't know my name, they don't know who I am, they they have no recollection of anything about Edgewood, the ministry here, nothing, and their lives are fine. They don't need to know about me. Do you realize that? There are people in Seattle area that... Their existence is not hampered. Their lives are not filled with despair and pain because they have not yet met me. That doesn't seem to shock anyone here. But but let's take a moment and compare that to Jesus. Knowing or not knowing Jesus has profound impact on a person's life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. Knowing Jesus is needed for a person to find forgiveness, restoration with God through faith in Christ. You see, see, it's needed for people to find ultimate peace and purpose and eternal joyful life. People were created to worship God through Christ. They do not exist to worship us, to be impressed by us, to serve us. So let's ask ourselves a question. Are we spending our time, our talent, our treasure, our money to get people to be impressed with us or to get them impressed with God? Ask yourself, Whose fame do I live for? Whose fame do I live for? This morning I'd like to take some time together and consider what God wants from us. I want you to ask yourself what God wants you to do with your life. What does He want you to do with your time, with your talent, with your treasure? What should be getting you out of bed every morning? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 say this, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you you get that? We should be gathering together so we could spur each other on in love and good deeds. We do not gather to escape reality, but to find the strength to face reality with the power of Christ in our lives. 
The coming together on Sunday mornings is not supposed to be a lounge chair, it's supposed to be a launching pad. So that Monday morning, as, as we pursue excellence, wherever God has placed us for the glory of His name, we have been encouraged by what we heard and what we experienced together on Sunday morning. What we hear this morning should remind us that we are to live for the glory of God every day. And that glorifying God means loving and serving others. Ken Eldrin wrote this, the church often fails to identify or affirm spiritual value in our everyday work. Thus, we perceive the nature of our work, the goal of our work, and the outcome of our work as lacking spiritual significance. We conclude that secular business and a sincere desire to serve God are mutually exclusive. And so the compartmentalized life is reinforced by the messages from the church. That may happen sometimes, but we don't want that to happen, right? What happens a lot of times is what happens on Sunday morning, people say, has no, infect, no impact on my Monday morning. In fact, I don't know how to put the two together. We don't want that to happen. We gather together to say, what has God called you to? Now, now let me make this clear. Everybody, everybody has been called to full-time service. Right? It is where you are going to serve God. I asked Tom Peterson, a, a friend and a businessman in the area here who was brought on by, by Westgate to try to give them some, some, some advice and counsel them a little bit about the functions of the church and the administration functions, and he was key in gathering the pastors together for prayer time every week. And I asked him to respond to that quote, and he, he said several things. He did say there, there are times it would appear that the church does send that message that what you do in your business isn't nearly in, as important as what happens in the church. Um, that's my phrasing of his words. But, but he also said this, said, I love the terms enablers and frictionless in the context of spiritual life. As a layperson, I'm... I may contribute tremendously to the spiritual health and experience of many people through these seemingly simple acts, greeting in a service, showing someone a classroom, helping a person find a restroom, cutting operating costs on a copier in the church office, or leading a parent to the Sunday school class. The linkage is clear. If we think about it, we, all, we are all contributing in a very large way to God's service. We owe God our best. And if we provide it willingly, our work outcome is directly related to the spiritual significance and impacts of the church. If I can take some of the friction out of a person's experience in church by being friendly, helpful, and welcoming, I have made the impact I believe Christ wants. My job is to make it easy to love Christ, to show Christ in every transaction, every interaction, and every connection. This is every bit as important as the act of leading someone to Christ or preaching a sermon, in my view. 
It is just a different form of selfless service. It's not mercenary, mercenary, not from a paycheck, simply out of love, because he first loved us. Oswald Chambers said this, the spiritual man manifests itself in a life which knows no division into sacred and secular. So we ask ourselves, what does it look like to live a seamless life that seeks to glorify God wherever you are? I hope this morning that we can find the encouragement and the energy to pursue excellence everywhere for the glory of God and the love of others. One thing that we can't let discourage us is the giftedness of others. Sometimes when people look and go, oh, they're so gifted, I don't know what to do. It's not a competition. Amen? God's not going to ask you what Bill Gates did with his money or what Donald Trump did with his influence. He's going to ask you, and I'm not saying we don't have some accountability politically, don't get that wrong, but he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? Amen? And let me just say this. Albert Barnes in the material put out by Ligonier said this, men, men of slender abilities may often do more good in the world than men of much greater talents. I think he means men and women. It is rather a warm heart than a strong head which is required to do good. A humble Christian by his life example and conversation may often do much more good than is done by those in more elevated stations with far greater gifts. But again, I don't think we have to compare. I think the, the, the goal is to pursue excellence with what God has given us. But if we're going to do that, if we're gonna pursue excellence in our lives, we have, to, we have to do something about our sin. We have to do something about our own defects. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I want us to think about this passage. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked through the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, according to let me read that again. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. Did, did you see what see the issue is? You see, if you, you, don't, you don't know Jesus, I want, want you to see that Jesus puts our life back on the course it's meant to be on for the glory of God and the joy of his people. It helps us live with passion and purpose. You see, if you just read with me that and followed along, these are the things that stand in our way. Our own sinful nature. We've all been born with selfish desires, destructive desires. Amen? And they get in the way. Second, the, the, the society, the world in which we live, often encourages us to do the wrong thing. And that gets us off purpose. Three, we believe that there, there are evil beings. We don't believe that there's a creature 
wearing red pajamas with a pitchfork called Satan, but we do believe in Satan. And evil forces that come against us. And then we believe also, we see here, that, that our, our sinfulness and our turning away from God has, has caused a disconnect with God. It has appropriately angered God. But God has provided a way for us to get back right with Him, to overcome our own sinful, sinful nature. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior by grace, He forgives us our sins and begins the process of fully transforming our lives. Amen? Is that a powerful thing? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Did you catch that? God's love came first, not after we got our lives fixed. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, what's it say right there? For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live in them. A lot of people memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and forgot verse 10. We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. First Corinthians 15, 10 says this, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. In other words, the grace of God, when you say, when I say, when someone says, I am a Christian by the grace of God through faith in Christ, that is not an excuse to do nothing. That is not an excuse to go find a lounge chair and sit around. It's a launching pad to live for His glory with purpose and direction and energy. Energy for excellence. Amen. And today as we look at the parable of the talents and we think about this and what it means for our life, I want to ask you first, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted Him? The order is important here. Don't try... to live a life of purpose and excellence without embracing the grace of God, for the glory of God. Accept that we're sinners, that we fall short of God's glory, that we need help. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and send His Holy Spirit to forgive you so that our sins are forgiven and we're empowered by His Spirit to live differently. If you, if you claim Christ and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, think about what you're doing with your life. Matthew 25, 14 through 30 says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. So 
what, what's a talent? A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. Did you catch that? 20 years wages. This, this according to the ESV, this is not a small amount. If you look up in modern tables, talent today worth somewhere between $840,000 and a million dollars, some say. I, I don't know those things. I'm not an expert on those, but I want to point out here something. Sometimes you go, well, one guy just only got one talent. That's not very much. I, I think that's a danger, and I, I suspect that lies here in the room. Hey, look, I don't have that much. I mean, look how much they have. I don't have much. Think about all you do have. Think about all the potential you do have, right? Think about all the technology that's sitting in our hands. Think about the, the amazing benefits and blessings we have in this land we live. Verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who made two talents, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and we, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How did that strike you as you thought through that. Does it matter what we do with what God has given us? When man's given five talents, he comes back with how many? Ten. And he's told, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy 
of your master. One man has two talents he comes forward with. He's told you don't even have as much as the other guy started with. Loser. That's not what he's told, is he? He's told, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your master. The person with one talent did what? Buried it, had a bad attitude, right? And the lack of productivity was blamed on fear and having a master who was hard. And so we see that there was deception in this person's life. They were lying to themselves, right? If you're really concerned about, about this, you went to bury the talent, you should have given it to a banker. I want to be real careful here, but I hear a lot of people tell me, I'm not really sure what God's called me to do with my life. I'm not really sure what my talents are. May I ask you why you're not? I don't think it's a responsible place to be to say, I have no idea what the talents and gifts God has given me. Sometimes we think that's humility. I'm going to say to you, I think it's sin. I have no idea what God would want me to do. Well, then what are you doing to discover that? What are you doing to discover that? I believe you do know some things you can do, and you should do them. And I think our gathering together should be encouraging one another. I think we should speak encouragement. We see somebody do something, you know, you know you're really good at that. By the grace of God, use it. Let's be reminded today of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He said this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven heaven. Did you catch that? And, and if you're five or you're 95, you've got gifts and talents that God wants you to use for his glory. Amen? So for the outline, here, here's the points. One, the first thing we need to do is we need to be about overcoming deception. Let's stop deceiving ourselves. We spend too long sitting around and doing nothing, and pretty soon we, th we think either that we can't do anything or that we need not do anything. I went jogging in Edmonds, and I realized I'd deceived myself. <laughs> right? Sure. I'll, I'll go jogging four miles. That, that'll be fine. I have an idea what my pace will be. I, I know how I can do this. Well, I made the four miles, but not at the pace I told myself I'd make it at. 
But when you see that, does that discourage you or make you quit? Or do you say, you know what? One of the instruments God has given me is this body and I need to take better care of it. I'm going to do that. By his grace, for his glory. Because I'm not trying to earn God's love, I'm living out of that love. Does that make sense? Overcome deception. The slothful servant claimed it was fear, but Jesus said it was laziness. Did he not? Second, embracing discovery. I was reading uh, Howard Schultz's book, Onward, about the turning around of Starbucks. And uh, I want to talk about that in just a minute. But I was doing that to try to get some discovery on, on some things. See, we want to discover more and more about God, don't we? We want to discover more and more about the culture God has placed us in so we can maximize our impact. And we want to discover more and more about ourselves and those around us. Amen? And when I was reading that book, I was thinking about, okay, here's what we need to be about. We need as a church to be about discovering God and delighting in God. Discovering, delighting. Discovering, delighting. Discovering, delighting. Welcome people into discovery of God and delighting in God. We talk about glorifying God by carrying out the great command, the great commission, loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, going and making disciples of the nations. Another way to say that is we help people discover God as we discover more about God and we delight in God. Back to Howard Schultz and point two. We want to embrace discovery. We want to be about embracing discovery. We also, point three, want to be about empowering delight. I was reading that book. He's talking about the turnaround at Starbucks. And he said this, and it just jumped off the page at me. He said, the problem with Starbucks at that time, when he's trying to turn them around, is that we had stopped celebrating coffee. We had stopped celebrating coffee. We were just about trying to grow bigger and bigger, but we stopped celebrating coffee. I was reading over at the University of Washington bookstore. When I came to that line, I just dropped my book. And I said, that's it! That's what we need to do. That's what I need to lead. That's what we need to be about. That's the problem. We've stopped celebrating God the way we should. Maybe that's not true of everyone here, but I know for myself, I said, that's it. That's it. People got enough problems. They don't want to come in and, and just hear more grumbling and complaining. Right? So I just ask, have you stopped celebrating God? In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Amen? 
What's empowering that? It's this empowering of delight, delighting in the right things. It's not just we just go after whatever we delight in. It's that we find our delight in God. And it fuels everything. Amen? And that day, in that moment, in that bookstore, I prayed, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. For not delighting in you the way I should. For not seeing that to serve you, to get the awesome, the awesome gift of being a pastor of a church, the awesome gift of a wonderful family, and instead of celebrating who you are, to be so filled with grumbling and complaining. And when there's so many people around me who've not found their delight in God, who haven't discovered that God's worth delighting in, to be distracted by so many things that really don't matter. If we're going to pursue excellence, it must come out of a delight in God. Fourth, employing diligence. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says it this way. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, we're not all called to the same thing. Wherever you're called, know that you're in full-time service there. Amen. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So some key questions that I want us to ask ourselves are these. What gifts has God given me? What gifts has God given me? Don't get lazy and stop it, I don't know. Why did God give me the gifts and talent he's given me? What would God want me to do with the gifts and talents he's given me? What have I been doing to strengthen, multiply, and use the gifts and talents that God has given me? Talents should be multiplying. Now, I know that the talent term in the parable of the talents was monetary, but it is an example, I believe, of what we should do with all our talent, all our money, all our time, and all our gifts. Let's just ask ourselves honestly, have I been lazy? Have I lacked focus? Have my priorities been misguided? If I died today, would I be ready to face God and give an account for how I have used the talents and gifts he has given me? 
What changes do I need to make in the way I use my talents and gifts? And how does the glory and grace of God relate to my gifts and talents? Let me say this real clear. Feelings of guilt may be good breaks to go, maybe I don't need to stay going in that direction, but they're not going to be the gas pedal and the accelerator to move you forward. You get that? Our drive for excellence for the glory of God cannot be driven by guilt. It'd be the worst thing to me if all you leave this building is, I really feel bad about myself. <laughs> no, 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 no. Lift your head. I'm going to figure out what my gifts and abilities are. I'm going to figure out the people God's placed me around, and I'm going to use them for His glory. And I'm going to be about discovering God and delighting in God and welcoming people into the discovery and delight of God. And I'm going to believe that God, God gave me gifts and talents for His glory. Amen? Do you believe that? Just some common pitfalls to be cautious of. One, wasting time and energy on trivial things. Two, mistaking activity for productivity. Well, you can't believe how much I'm doing. Well, maybe you need to stop doing some things and start doing some different things. Comparing our gifts and talents with others and getting discouraged. But there's so much better than that. Just use the talents God's given you and find delight in it. Amen? Believing that we've already arrived and do not need to improve. Motivating our efforts by guilt or pride. Either, I'm going to do excellence because I want everyone to think how great I am. That's not what we're created to do. We're to do our good works so that people will glorify our Father, our God. We've already talked about guilt's not a good motivator. It's the love of God that drives us forward and our delight in Him. Also, there's a fear of failure. And before I conclude, I want to watch a video from Francis Chan that I showed in a service maybe a year and a half ago. The quality of the video isn't great, but the point is so strong I wanted to show it anyway. And if you've seen it before, may it be a reminder to you. If you haven't seen it, I hope it will encourage you to think. Whatever, you know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me. And my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay, that was nuts, I don't, I don't want to live like that, let me, uh, 
let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this. Just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. As the praise team comes, I wrote out what I wanted to end this sermon with, and that's this. That together we say goodbye to guilt-driven misery and hello to a life filled with the transforming grace of God. That we say goodbye to deception and hello to discovery, hello to delight, hello to diligence. We say goodbye to living in fear and hello to living in faith. We say goodbye to a me-centered existence and hello to living for the glory of God. We say goodbye to narcissism and selfishness and hello to loving others with our time and our talent and treasure. We say goodbye to the lies that activate our laziness and hello to the life-transforming truth. Right now, let's step out of the status quo into the spirit-filled life where the impossible becomes possible. Discovering and delighting, that is the life that we've been called to. Discovering God in every area of our lives, in every part of who we are, in every place that we go, in every conversation that we have, in everything that we do. To truly discover God is to delight in Him and to desire to share that delight. Eric Little, when he ran, said he felt the pleasure of God. My prayer for you and for me 
is that we will feel the pleasure of God in everything we do every day for the glory of His name. That we will be a place where we gather to launch out into the world, discovering and delighting in God and sharing that delight. And it's only by the grace of God that we can be called to that life. Will you take your connection card and look over those next steps and say, this is the next step for me. Maybe you'll be like I was at that bookstore and you'll say, you know what, the truth is, that is it, that is it. I have stopped celebrating God, I need to celebrate Him. Maybe it'll be, hey, I, I have never really given my life to Jesus. I've never done with that thing you talk about and turning my life over to Christ, asking Him to be my Savior and forgive my sins. Maybe I've done that and I know I'm going to heaven, but I, I haven't pursued excellence in the way I live out my life. I need to do that. Maybe what you need to do is proclaim and demonstrate what Christ has done in your life by baptism. You've never been baptized. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe the next step in your life is say, I'm going to make it my aim to identify the gifts and talents God has given me and to use them for his glory. And I'm going to get other people involved in that conversation. Dear God, I pray that you would use every life here that everyone here would delight in you, that we would discover you more fully, and that we would live with diligence for your glory, pursuing excellence and embracing grace. For we know it's only by your grace we can live the life we're meant to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.